0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and today on the show, we've got a guest. Our former Field Goals Managing Editor, John Morgan, is coming on. He wrote an article this week talking about Russell Wilson, talking about the offensive line for the Seahawks. And I want to bring him on and talk a little bit about it. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm fired up about this, man, because, well, it is the offseason, and... I do feel like uh, let Russ cook has been a mantra of the 2020 offseason. and this kind of it, it takes a little bit different direction on that, and and maybe a little bit of a reminder of of how things have gone in the past. What was kind of your your thinking going into to writing your latest piece up on field goals?
1: Well, like a lot of people, I think that the uh, the future of the Seahawks, the the future potential contention for the Seahawks, the the hope that they can uh, reopen their window of contention depends mostly on Russell Wilson and the ability to increase the volume of the passing attack because they are so efficient. They're such an efficient passing attack, really one of the most efficient and for years running, but they're also uh, very stingy. They seem to depend so much on the uh, tactical and strategic importance of the run to be able to pass. So I thought, okay, you know, I, I didn't know. I was really more than anything. I was curious. I've been kind of checked out I haven't really been as engaged with the Seahawks as I usually am and I thought okay I'm gonna sit down I think a lot of people agree that if we could if if there was some way to enable Russell Wilson to pass more frequently then that would help the Seahawks uh, play better and at the same time not to be pessimistic but I don't see any reason to think that the defense is going to make a sudden leap and so I look at it as this is the time when uh Pete Carroll's plan that he seemed to uh stick with for his entire time in seattle needs to change somewhat and the seattle can't simply be a rush first ball ball control offense that depends on turnovers and defensive stops to win so i thought okay let's examine this idea Um, let's not just be real simplistic and doctrinaire and just say passing 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 no matter what you have to pass more it's going to be better for the team if you pass more let's look at how you can work within the system that is going to be the system and squeeze out more passes because, uh, you know, it will help the team without losing efficiency. And so I didn't know exactly what would be the answer, but as I examined it, I thought, okay, he's been given receivers. He's been given receivers again and again, uh, and he's been given a certain amount of protection on the blind side. Seattle's had pretty good left tackles, Mm -hmm. um, but he's, he's never been given strong protection on the right side, and I thought maybe this is the time with him, you know, entering into his 30s, he's clearly not the scrambler he used to be, or at least, you know, as far as um, rushing. I think that he's still very evasive and can still pull out a pass while scrambling. Uh, but I think this is the time to start protecting him and shift away from the, uh, the offensive style that they have really stuck with for his entire career.
0: So do you feel like
1: that shift
0: has been starting? Because one of the things I, I felt like going into this offseason with free agency, there wasn't an insignificant amount of money that you could spend on the offense and defensive line. And it just seemed like going into this year, yeah, that you had Clowney, you had Reed that were going to be free agents. There was a lot of, really, when you looked at the team and the, the free agents that were leaving, there were so many on the defensive line, but there's also so many needs on the offensive line. And it does seem that they have addressed it in terms of volume, but addressing it in terms of quality, it's that's going to be something that we just kind of have to wait
1: and see, I guess. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I think the Seahawks organization is aware that offensive linemen often peak later in their careers. They often simply break out later in their careers and are not as good when they're young. And so while a lot of people have wanted Seattle to draft heavily towards offensive line, I think often what happens is that you end up getting that player's worst years and then you see him leave in free agency and you don't necessarily have as much to show. Whereas like a position that's relatively less valuable Like running back, you can justify drafting early to an extent because you say this is a guy who's probably going to be as good as they're ever going to be in the first five years. And that's exactly when we're going to have team control over him. And so I know that it's kind of a difficult problem to actually fix. People often just kind of seem to want the solution rather than have a plan for how to uh, achieve that solution because it's hard to draft guys. It's hard to draft guys and expect them to be able to contribute right away. Um, and it's of course incredibly expensive to go out into free agency and try to get a, a premier offensive lineman. I like the idea that they seem like they're bringing in a lot of different players and hoping that Solari is going to be able to shape them, and that we're going to see some of these, uh, you know, some of these late career breakouts, or it's more like middle career breakout, I guess. And so I think there's certainly a, a good thinking behind it, but I think we also have to accept that it may not work out. It's a, it's a bunch <laughs> of relatively low probability chances that these guys are going to significantly improve their performance and if you have a lot of low probability you have the potential to have a higher probability in aggregate but if there's a you know if if seattle is able to get a good right tackle this year someone they can stick with that'll be great if Seattle's able to get a good center this year i think that'll be great i have a lot of hope for davian lewis i think he's a kind of plug and play player like we haven't seen in a while um you know it's just not not typical of the seahawks drafting more like A bygone era like Tim Roscoe would draft guys who had the lower ceiling but were able to play right away. I think Damian Lewis could be that kind of player. Um, But I think to some extent Seattle just needs to start accepting that if they're not pass-protecting on the right side, on the front side, Russell Wilson's not going to be able to counter as easily anymore by scrambling away when the pressure comes at him from that side.
0: Well, I guess that kind of goes into some of the criticism that a lot of fans have had just over the past years too in terms of the type of offensive linemen they go out and get because you look at Jermaine Effetti, you look at DJ Fluker, uh, and even Justin Britt to an extent, you know, these were were guys for the most part that excelled more in the run game than in the pass game, you know, whether or not Brandon Shell is that much better than Jermaine Affetti or, or, or Jamarco Jones or whoever ends up being at right tackle, you know, if BJ Finney, if he comes in and is able to be a little bit better at pass blocking than Justin Britt was, You know, it's it's the the idea of going toward guys, I think, that are maybe a little bit better at pass blocking because Russell Wilson is the strength of the team.
1: Yeah, I think that um, for quite a few years, the Seahawks essentially said Russell Wilson is always going to be somewhat sack prone because he takes such deep drops and he's so inclined to break the pocket. but. What you get out of that is a quarterback who is so dangerous as a runner that he's almost he almost has a built-in play action effect where you can draw on the underneath defense and you can get these hugely valuable plays. And so every single time a pass rusher might come from the front side, especially if they go wide, they have to risk the possibility that Wilson's going to break containment that way. And then, you know, he's electric. And so Seattle has thought what we need most out of this this right side of the offensive line is really good push for the run game. And by Running frequently and then picking our times to pass will be able to limit the overall abuse that Russell Wilson suffers while having a, you know, on balance, highly effective offense. Even if the run game seems to be losing value, it has tactical significance. But, you know, one of the real um, strong comps that I think I see in where Russell Wilson's going and the potential for this to fall apart if, if you know, the Seahawks don't adjust to how he's adjusting is John Elway. Uh, in 1992, John Elway had his worst season basically of his career, other than maybe his rookie year. And it was it was exactly around the time when you would expect John Elway to transition from this phenomenal mm-hmm. athlete who could basically get by on just his gifts to someone who had to really be a quarterback who could really read defenses and do the right thing. And mm-hmm. after that year, after 92, they they fired the head coach of those Dan Reeves. You know, Dan Reeves was very respected at that time. And they also brought in a future Hall of Fame left tackle in Gary Zimmerman. And after that time, Elway's career really took off. And I think that Wilson's kind of in that transition phase because he's the best quarterback he's ever been. I mean, anyone who watches him, you can see everything that he does, he's doing better. His pre-snaps reads are better. His ability to read after the snap is the best it's ever been. Um, He's got wonderful touch. He's even improved his short passing. He's actually become a really excellent short passer, but Seahawks have not had the receivers to show that but i mean the way he can lead the way he can see holes in the zone or weaknesses in the man coverage he's really the best quarterback he's ever been and i think to uh, to create more opportunities for him to pass seattle needs to move away from that idea that they had that they don't need to protect on the right side that if pass rush comes on the right side he's just going to be able to break contain and do something electric i think he needs to be given the the opportunity to be more of a pocket passer. And I think that the timing's perfect. You know, um, it's easy to be critical of what Seattle has done up to this point as far as protecting Russell Wilson, but he's on his way to the Hall of Fame. And, you know, he's not an automaton that can be kind of occupied like people I think do in their heads, like it's Madden football or something like that. He is a person, he has his needs, he has his strengths. And the coaches have, I think, to the best of their ability, matched his strengths to the weaknesses of the offense, so that they, you know, so that you get kind of a happy middle where he's counteracting some of these uh, some of these weaknesses. But I think we're getting a point where he cannot be counted on to lift up uh, a faulty pass blocking offensive line on the right side anymore. I think that he's going to potentially get injured. He may play through that injury in a reduced form or what have you. Lots of quarterbacks, lots of players are consistently healthy until they're not. I don't think anyone wants to see Russell Wilson start to suffer the kind of recurring injuries that seem to often threaten a career, especially when I think he's got the potential to be the best he's ever been. You know, I mean, he could have a wonderful era right now. He could be Steve Young, you know what I mean? He could be using his rushing ability tactically to be a a constant threat to really manipulate underneath coverage while using his incredible accuracy and his constantly improving read and recognition to just be, so deadly and potentially you know Seattle could win more super bowls now than they did when they had the legion of Boomer. but the the possibility that they're going to recreate that level of defense is so low not just simply because there's not necessarily that talent on the roster right now but simply because it's very hard to field an elite defense whereas wilson being part of an elite offense is relatively high and we've seen again and again the teams that are you know that are not perfect that are perhaps uneven that have weaknesses could be lifted by great quarterback play. And so that's where I see the future of the Seahawks. And so to me, that's about allowing Russell Wilson to have more easy passes and fewer of these real instant, like, okay, someone's in the backfield. Russell Wilson has to, you know, evade two tacklers to even make a read. I, I think that those plays have to be limited as much as possible.
0: I am kind of curious where you come out on this though because when I think of Russell Wilson and easy passes, you know, it's easy to think back to that great run that he had at the end of 2015 and where it just seemed like, you know, he was getting rid of the ball, he was making big plays, and then that somehow went away and I I wonder if that was more of Russell Wilson going through a period of of growth in his game or or trying something different versus I do wonder if those short passes are kind of opposite of what Both Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll like to do it it seems like they like to look for and I don't and I don't even know if it's one or the other if it's Pete Carroll that likes to look for these big plays or if it's Russell Wilson or maybe a combination of both but it definitely feels like holding on to the ball and and looking for the bigger plays rather than taking the easier plays is just a function of the Seahawks offense
1: no I agree completely um you know, I, I know that uh, analyst for ESPN, Brian Burke, did a study and he found that almost all the value of pass plays was actually derived from deep passing plays. And so maximizing your number of deep passes is hugely important. But I think what we're actually looking at is the pool of plays that are not hugely valuable, but that allow a drive to continue or just to set up a down and distance that are uh, conducive to some sort of play action deep shot. And those are really going to be pulling away from run plays, because like run plays, these plays are not particularly valuable in the sense that if you look at the uh, expected points added, you're not going to add them all up and say, oh, that's why this offense is such a juggernaut. But on the flip side, they're the meat and potato plays that allow for a drive to continue. And they also just keep the quarterback clean. They allow for bigger, better opportunities. And so I think Seattle needs to make for a, just a, a better balance between these two and, and pull away from some of the run plays that have become so predictable and oftentimes just not very effective at all um, and often put Seattle in very bad down in distances where Russell Wilson is, you know, the pass rush is just going to tee up. They're going to start putting the defensive ends at the defensive tackle positions and everyone's going to have their ears pinned back. No one's going to be looking to run. I think Seattle needs to start taking some of these two yard rushes, this real smash mouth style where, Everything is about getting the linebackers sucked in. Everything is about getting the safety in the box, and they need to start going a little more horizontally with the pass plays so that they can they can still achieve what they want, which is to have as many big play potential potential big plays as possible. But at the same time, they're they're taking away some of these really low value run plays. That I I, I think that Russell Wilson has reached a level as a quarterback that he could derive more value from these short passes than Seattle can derive from just running right into a stack box every time.
0: And I do think that that kind of shift, you know, looking at some of the stats that you pointed out in your article, is that you know, Russell Wilson's sack percentage when he hold, when he, he gets rid of the ball with two and a half seconds or less, uh, it was at like uh, 5% sack rate, right?
1: Yeah, it's 5%, you know, whereas yeah. someone like Dak Prescott is 1%, which really tells you something about the relative qualities of each of their lines
0: do you think it's the quality of the line or do you think it also has a little bit to do with that idea of being a run first team and not doing as much passing on first down
1: i think that a lot of it has to do with the quality of the line i i I, I look at Dak prescott and he's also someone who i think tries to extend the play to try to suck in the defense and get those deep passes um, you know, uh, Russell well, comparing Wilson the Seahawks me,
0: offensive line to the Dallas Cowboys, I, I do think that there, that there is a significant difference there. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, so, well, I mean, that's in fact, I guess that's one The you know, it's, it's hyperbolic for a reason. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's easiest to establish something is true just by looking at the extremes. And so I, I, I think that if you watch, I mean, one of the reasons Justin Britt may not be coming back. Um, and unfortunately, I just haven't had the time recently. I haven't gone to school to do the kind of in-depth analysis that would allow me to say this with confidence. But I think one of the reasons that Justin Britt may not be coming back is I think the line reads have not been great. Uh, one of the things that you can, if, if someone is getting a pass rush that's leading to a sack under 2.5 seconds, there's a good chance that blitzers were not accounted for or people were not moving in the right direction right off the snap. Sure. So there was just these, you know, uh, the advantage, defensive players were getting such an incredible advantage so quickly that it, that it blows up the play and it forces Russell Wilson to either just Endure a hit, or throw it away, or attempt to do something special. Um, so I, I think that's the easiest place to try to find opportunities for Wilson to both throw more frequently and also remove the abuse he's taking. Because a lot of the limiting factor of passing the ball more is that you're endangering your quarterback. And you know, with a few examples uh, notwithstanding, for most teams, losing your quarterback is losing your season. And I think that's probably the truth with Seattle. I mean, there's such a huge difference in quality between Russell Wilson and Geno Smith. So yeah I think that I think that it it isn't really just Russell Wilson's style. I do think it is Russell Wilson's style to always take quite a few sacks. I mean he's on his way to be the all-time most sacked quarterback in history and I think that he may if he's very successful get that stat. But these 40 plus sack seasons, these 50 plus hit seasons that he enters every single year, if that could be 30 plus, if that could be 30 plus hits All of a sudden, you're talking about a fresher quarterback who's much less likely to be hurt. And I think it's just a matter of making sure those line reads are in place so you're not getting that instant pressure and making sure that you're not creating liabilities on the offensive line just so that you can advance the run game. I think that's an unworthy trade-off. It made more sense when Wilson was so evasive that he could, you know, take a completely blown block and turn it into a touchdown. Right. Um but I don't expect him doing that as much anymore and I don't think we should want him to do that as much anymore because it's dangerous.
0: Yes, Russ can't live up to that dangerous Twitter moniker if he's not in the game, so keeping him healthy is critical. John, let's take a quick break and come back and I want to talk about a couple of the sentences of your latest article that generated the most discussion in the comment section on the website. That's coming up next. Talking to John Morgan, former managing editor at Field Goals, when you look at the the sack rate, you know, going back to that and being five percent under two and a half seconds, and seeing that it jumped to twelve and a half percent if he holds onto the ball more than two and a half seconds, I, I know it's natural for sack percentage to go up the longer a quarterback holds onto the ball, but I'm kind of curious of where that twelve and a half percent
1: compares to the rest of the league. You know, I don't have that in front of me. Okay. I was really just da- data mining. <laughs> um i could bring up a few names and i'm sure it's higher yeah uh just just simply looking at splits and knowing how few people had uh even a number as high as five percent in under 2.5 seconds you can logically infer that something as high as over 12 you know over 10 percent on uh 2.5 plus it's probably very rare but it's true you know once you're holding the ball longer offensive linemen often are taught simply to drop their block to some extent and become more like a basketball pick because the officials are up they're looking for holds and you know everything's going to be negated if you get a hold in there and so yeah i'm sure that sack numbers absolutely surge once you've held the ball that long and uh you know seattle builds its offense around a lot of these very slow developing plays that use a lot of max protect and so it's not too surprising and if you look at the average depth of russell wilson sack you also see something that's probably indicative of him being you know holding onto the ball very long looking for some sort of shot deep but it's my opinion that you don't want to necessarily worry about these plays, these very high-variance plays that may lead to some sort of big sack but may also lead to some sort of big gain, because that's fundamental to Russell Wilson's game. But I don't think any quarterback built their game around having pressure in their face in under 2.5 seconds. And so, to me, that's that's where there's this room for improvement. It doesn't require the system to be thrown out. It doesn't require Seattle to you know just get tremendously lucky when it comes to adding personnel. It just requires Seattle to look at the, the kind of offense they've built and accept that as Russell Wilson is improving in some ways, he's, he's becoming worse in other ways. He's not as, he's not as dynamic as a rusher. He's not as evasive as he used to be. And so they could just ignore that and try to consistently say, let's try to regain that, you know, let's reclaim that magic of years past or they can adjust to it. And I think if they adjust to it and they really, bolster the you know the blocking on the right side and uh and really the line reads and you know again i'm guessing because i don't know i don't want to defame justin Pratt, maybe he was exceptional at it and i just am wrong <laughs> but i think it's very possible that seattle could squeeze out quite a few more passes if they're just not getting all these cheap hits and russell wilson isn't enduring all this you know all this physical this physical toll that is you know i i, I he, he is clearly superhuman in many ways but i don't Ever count on anyone to be age and quarterbacks who are thriving late in their careers are not typically quarterbacks who are scramblers. Uh, scramblers tend to burn bright and burn fast and burn out quickly early in their career. And I don't think Wilson has to be doomed to that fate. But I think that requires Seattle's, you know, the brain trust, the the, the people making the decisions both about how they run their offense and also who plays in which positions on the offense, they need to start being open to that. I mean, when I mentioned Elway, I think one of the reasons that I mentioned him is that after '92, Dan Reeves was fired. You know, and and that's how fast things happen in the in the NFL. And I think that if we have a really bad season where the defense is in some sort of middling state, where it's it's nothing like the kind of defense that can carry a sluggardly offense, and Seattle's still just rushing on first down and second down into stacked boxes, and depending on Wilson to do magical stuff, I think that could fall apart real quickly. And so I think this really is the time for Seattle to, and this is sometimes hard to do, but for Seattle to maintain the same basic people they have making decisions, and yet for them to change their approach radically.
0: In your article, I think one of the things that brought up, that, that really generated the most discussion was the question, what stops Seattle from passing more often? and you said Brian Schottenheimer is one answer, Pete Carroll's another, but the likeliest answer is Russell Wilson himself. He has never excelled in a past first offense.
1: Sure, and you know, that's not to say he couldn't. Um, you know, I'm working with limited information and I don't want to say that Russell Wilson for sure could not, but I don't think I don't think that the most probable explanation is that he would be, you know, excellent in a pass first offense and he simply has been stop from being in a pass first offense. For one thing, pass first offenses are often all the rage with journalists and fans, but they don't actually do too well in the NFL. I mean, it's always about squeezing out a few more increments of the pass game, you know, getting a few more passes and things always uh they always tend towards about a 55-45 split neutral game states, and I don't think that that's simply because of old men unwilling to change their opinions. I think that's a lot of what people assume. And I think that it leads to this attitude that is very simplistic, where Russell Wilson is this dynamic talent who could potentially do anything he wanted, and he just needs the kind of coaches to unlock that. And I don't really buy that. I think that Russell Wilson is an incredibly special player. He's the, you know, maybe with Ken Griffey Jr., not with Sandy or something like that, he's probably the greatest player in Seattle sports history. I never think that I'm ever um, underselling him, but I do think sometimes that people, they they look at someone and they almost see them like, like they're a god and that they're capable of doing anything, um, and I don't think that's accurate. I think that he is a human being with his own specific needs and his own specific weaknesses, and that run-first offenses have allowed him to unlock what he's best at, which is, to, in my opinion... He's very good at pre-snap reads. It's one of the reasons he's always had a very low interception rate. I think that he's very, very good at not throwing into situations that may lead into an interception. He's incredibly accurate. He has wonderful touch. Um, That's just not discussed enough. I think that when people want someone to be a rocket-armed quarterback, they often end up getting a quarterback that throws it so dang hard. Every single one of the receivers looks like they have a case of the drops suddenly. Um, And Wilson does not do that. There's a reason that wide receivers very much excel when they're receiving from Russell Wilson. But at the same time, I've watched the guy and I've analyzed the guy for so long that I don't think that he se- secretly has the ability to be like a Chad Pennington underneath assassin where he's throwing nothing but touch passes to you know receivers just where they need to be so they can get really strong run after catch. I think that he is a guy who has an exceptional deep pass. I think that he has improving abilities when it comes to short passes and medium passes. He may even just be very good at that point. But I also think that because Seattle often does not give him many receivers because they are using so much max protect and because many of those guys are blocking and then releasing it to routes that probably shouldn't even be targeted. (laughs) They're so (laughs) feeble. Um, I think that that he needs something that allows him to do what he's best at. I don't think it's just a coincidence that he's had his best years in offenses where they want lots of runs and lots of downfield passing because to me, that unlocks both his his greatest strength, but also allows him to play away from those things that might not be his greatest strengths.
0: Part of me wonders if in that, those first couple of weeks of 2018, if we were maybe robbed from seeing more of that in the 2018 season, because that was Brian Schottenheimer's first year. You come out those first two games you had at the Denver Broncos, at the Chicago Bears, and... Those were two of the games where I remember them being very pass heavy. They lost both of those games. But I also think back to those games and you're going up against Von Miller in his prime week one in Denver and then week two against Cleo Mack. And when I think about that going up against the Seahawks offensive line, I think that by passing more in those situations, maybe they were doomed to fail uh, if that was their game plan going into those two games.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, there was all the all the media afterwards talking about how um, Seattle had lost its way. I think the coaches themselves were saying as much that they need to establish the wrong. I know that that's kind of almost like a you know dirty phrase among <laughs> modern football fans. But um, I think that they, I think that they did think of it that way. They thought that they're they're forcing Russell Wilson into almost an Alex Smith role. And he's not that player. You know, and they, they were turning him into something that's worse than a game manager in a lot of ways where they were turning him to someone who was just, you know, scattering the ball to low value targets and taking a ton of hits. And so I think it is possible that they have been kind of reactionary, that Seahawks coaches have been kind of reactionary and turned away from that too strongly. But I think at the same time, um, a lot of people, when they say that this run, you know, establishing the run doesn't work or that, you know, uh, a team has to pass more at all costs. Um, are, are using stats that simply do not capture the element of decision making by both the offensive coordinator and the quarterback, um, and I think that we fail to recognize that oftentimes pass plays are essentially selected, uh, you know, be, for the the specific look that the team is seeing, and that that you can't just say these are more valuable, so these should be done more frequently. And so while I think that there is certainly potential that Seattle got overly reactionary and became too conservative because things did not work well against defenses that turned out to be very, very good. I also think that you can't ignore the fact that the offense certainly took off afterward. And that I think that, I think that points to the idea that, you know, shoddy's offense requires establishing the run there. They're, you know, there's tactical gains, even when there's not these um, field position gains, not these, you, you know, uh, first down gains. And while these tactical gains, I, I understand that it is debatable how valuable these are to Schottenheimer and to Wilson. As far as I can tell, they're the soul of the offense is moving these guys around and getting these mismatches. And so I don't think that Seattle, I don't, I, I, I not only think that Seattle probably going to stick with this kind of establish the run mentality. I think that they have good reason to, and while if it was a completely different offensive coordinator, if his you know if his father wasn't Marty Schottenheimer, which I think it you know for <laughs> people who are big time football fans, that was really triggering that they would go after you know Marty Schottenheimer's son to actually run the offense of all things. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that there is a there's a method to it. I think that if Seattle were to completely rebuild, and you know that might be sooner than we think. I mean, I cross my fingers. I don't want that to happen. Um, But that could be sooner than we think. But I think that requires such a re-envisioning of both what Russell Wilson will do and what the offense will do. Um, You you think of someone like DK Metcalf, he's definitely better situated for the offense he's in than offense that was very pass first. Um, That It's going to be a bit of a, a difficult transition. And so I don't think that it's as Arbitrary as a lot of people think it is, I think a lot of people simply think that Seattle is doing something that is shooting themselves in the foot, that they are, have an outmoded way of thinking, and I don't think that's nearly as accurate as people believe. I think that they do run the ball too frequently, but they do it in their from their perspective because it translates into success through the passing game, and so I, I think that we may one day potentially see Russell Wilson in a pass first offense. And maybe he'll cook, you know, maybe that's what it'll finally take someone who simply has the commitment and is willing to change the whole team to build it around him and allow him to pass first. But I don't think that we can just kind of awkwardly force it. I don't think we could ignore that, um, that the offense is not built that way. And that Russell Wilson simply does not have much experience playing that way. And even if he has the underlying ability to excel, it w- it was probably going to come with some growing pains, Because what he knows and what he's done and the greatest part of his career and what made Russell Wilson a prospect and what made Russell Wilson a great quarterback, a future Hall of Fame quarterback, is a run-first offense where he picks his spots and he's able to take advantage of his incredible deep pass and he's able to hit this team at two levels through his scrambling and his deep pass. And I don't know of a pass-first offense that would necessarily take advantage of those skills nearly as well. And he'd have to radically transform his style, and so I I understand that people probably disagree with that. I don't know that I prove that because it's it's a very difficult thing to prove um, that he could not work in a pass-first offense. But it's it's my opinion as a a careful observer of him, as someone who who tries to understand the game as well as I'm capable. um, I don't think that it's an arbitrary decision. I don't think that it's abusing him or forcing him into some sort of position where he's not going to excel. I think it's a a mature careful understanding of what he's best at. And at least as far as evidence, it's what he's done well. And I've never seen him do well in a different style of offense. Now he can pass more, but it's still going to be a play action passing attack that's built off the run game and is based on having tactical advantages through running the ball and then working off that through play fakes.
0: Well, I don't really want to have to go through any of these growing pains because I, I feel pretty content winning you know, upwards of uh, 10 games every year and seeing my team go to the playoffs. I, I can be happy with that as Russell Wilson grows into you know, in, and develops into whatever we need him to be in the future.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I don't think anyone's really looking for, I mean, some people are, you know, there's always bomb throwers and I don't mind. I've been a bomb thrower before. <laughs> and as someone who really wants the Seahawks to win the Super Bowl, who is happy when the team plays well, but wants the team to win the Super Bowl, like for instance, i I'm, I'm old enough, though I'm only in my 30s, but I guess I'm old enough as a Seahawks fan that I can remember the end of Hasselbeck. And at that time, I was a bomb thrower because I did not want to try to fix the offense around Hasselbeck and what he needed. I'd rather for him to have to be forced into an awkward position and fail badly enough that Seattle just opened the possibility for another player to come in. Um, and so I, I can understand people who just want to blow it up, think that it's there's a certain kind of, futility and simply being an above-average team that's never a particularly strong contender. But I think that the key to Seattle becoming a strong contender is drafting better, to be completely honest. They've they've gotten into this vicious cycle of not developing their own players and trading for these hired guns who often do not perform as well as people expect them to. They certainly don't necessarily lift the unit that they're added to, so maybe it's not necessarily their fault, but just that one player does not typically lift a whole unit by themselves. And so I think that we, you know, the best hope is that some of these guys who have done okay, that the Seahawks currently have some of these young guys who are doing okay, that they make some sort of leap. And that simply put that the the team drafts better. Uh, drafting may be a crapshoot and it may be no more than maximizing opportunities. You know, I, I don't know. I've mm-hmm. certainly, I've studied it and I've never seen any general manager who's consistently drafted well. So it's clear that there is no, absolute right way we don't have the kind of knowledge or uh efficiency that you might see in major league baseball though their drafting is pretty unpredictable too but but my point is as i'm rambling is simply that i I don't see the team as needing some sort of um change to their system to get over the hump i think that the system as long as it's producing an offense that's performing in the top 10 is about maximizing and tweaking and improving And keeping that going and keeping Wilson healthy and adding to that as it gets better and better and squeezing out more valuable plays, more pass plays, and then just drafting well enough that that it's a complete team. Uh, I know Mookie has certainly made a point of it, but the special teams has not contributed to Seattle winning in so long that I actually don't really know the last time Seattle special teams (laughs) was good. And stuff like that, when you're a team that's trying, you know, you've got that franchise quarterback you need some sort of wild card to get over the hump. I think about Bob Sanders for the Colts, and he had just that fantastic playoff run that seemed to help the, I mean, that was integral to the Colts winning the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And so little funny, hard-to-expect factors like that are so important. And Seattle hasn't had anything like that happen to them in so long because they haven't had, other than Metcalf, I guess, and Lockett to an extent, the Lockett took a little while to get going, they haven't had that like real, that that rookie who just, you know, hits the ground running and and looks like a pro and is just so special. And I want them to be able to find that guy again because it seemed like for a while they were the best in the league. I mean, I think that you could empirically prove that they were the very best in the league at drafting. And that was the that was the beginning of what looked like it could be a dynasty. I mean, I thought it was a dynasty. I thought they had everything in them to be a dynasty, but they haven't done that in so long. And they've had so many players come and go, not just not making an impact in Seattle, but not making an impact in the league. And so to me, That's what it'll take. And like you said, it's not about ditching the team that is capable of winning 10 plus every year. It's about building on that. And so I don't I don't see any reason for there to be radical change other than maybe in their talent evaluation.
0: Well, John, before you get on out of here, I, I've kept you, I think, uh, longer than I planned to already. I, I know I had questions. I, I thought about getting into Quentin Dunbar because, you know, that's a whole huge story. But uh, before, oh, how, what's how, <laughs> oh, what's there to say?
1: Oh, what's there to say?
0: There's so much to say. That's the strangest story yeah. in the offseason. But I, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious of what, uh, what you see just as far as an outlook on the 2020 uh, Seahawks team.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, So I am an optimist in most regards. I think that it's better to be disappointed than to disappoint yourself through pessimism in advance. But at the same time, I'm very worried about this defense. Um, I think that that's such a big liability. I think Seattle is going to be disproportionately affected by the fact that there's going to be either no fans in the stands or fewer fans in the stands. Seattle has enjoyed one of the best, perhaps the best, home field advantage going all the way back to the kingdom. And so if, if anyone was a careful observer of the L.A. Chargers last year where they essentially had no home field advantage and the fans were actively rooting for the competing team each week, I think that you can really see how that despirits a team. And Seattle also builds around it because they want to jump off the snap. And that depends on crowd noise to an extent. So I'm very, I, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. And my optimism builds on the fact that Russell Wilson's so good. And when you have a top quarterback, you should be thinking playoffs every year. But the caution, the part of me that is pessimistic, is not a little bit pessimistic. I think that there is a certain and perhaps distressingly high probability that this team will collapse when you are building through young talent, but you're not developing young talent. Oftentimes you'll hit that season where you just get bad injury luck, and some of those players that you're hoping would take off actually have a step back. Um, And you mentioned Quentin Dunbar and... um, that's, that's a potentially huge loss because Seattle seemed to want to fix their secondary. And at this point, I, I think that best they're going to hope for the best version of their 2019 secondary, which was not particularly strong. And so I think there's a lot of risk in there. I think it's one of those years where um, playoffs should be expected. I think that there's some small possibility if Seattle's offense really takes off that they're a contender, though I don't necessarily see that this year. Um, and I think there's a distressingly high possibility. That this is the collapse here where a lot of stuff that they have um, failed to do well is going to really show itself. And maybe that'll be for the best in the long run. I never want a year like that. I mean, I watch every single dang game and it's simply not fun to, to watch your team lose. I think there's some sort of hormonal change that has been studied that shows that a person's testosterone declines and all these despairing things happen. Um, so I certainly don't want it, but I I don't think we can ignore the fact that this draft class may not contribute much. I have hopes for Damian Lewis, but a lot of the other guys are, are more like projects with very little time to have that, you know, to actually improve. Um, and the last few draft classes have left so many potential weaknesses that if they're stressed through injury or just bad luck, you know, football is very dependent on luck, especially because of turnovers that the team could kind of fold. I mean, I'm not saying four and 12, but, uh, for me, anyway, seven and nine would be excruciating. And uh, I, I think that every team has a little bit of every team in the NFL every year has a little bit of seven and nine in them because of just how unpredictable it is and how much injuries play a part. So I guess my outlook is uh, guardedly optimistic. My optimism is not sky high and my pessimism is knacking. <laughs> I, I feel like you were almost about to take us out on a really down note there, John. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm
0: glad we didn't go there fully, but we explored it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Jeff. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> He's John Morgan. Check out his article up on field goals. Uh, look for the box titled Russell Wilson passing more. It depends on him getting hit less. It's up fieldgoals.com. Check it out. John, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It's a, uh, it's a real pleasure. Anytime I get to talk Hawks, that's fun.
0: Thanks again to John for coming on the show. A lot of recent news that we didn't get to touch on, but it's all up at fieldgoals.com. Chris Jones of the Chiefs was a player that many fans were looking at as a potential trade target for the Seahawks, knowing that the Chiefs just signed their quarterback to a long-term deal, big money deal. They were also able to get their big defensive tackle under contract, Chris Jones, a long-term deal ahead of the deadline for franchise tag players, so they get him, but there's still a lot more players to watch for on Wednesday ahead of that July 15 deadline. Dak Prescott of the Cowboys, probably the biggest name on that list. Derrick Henry, running back for the Titans, also on there. A.J. Green of the Bengals. Brandon Scherf of Washington, and we didn't get to that news either. Washington retiring their former team name, and we will be watching to see what that becomes in the next few weeks. Leonard Williams, uh, interior defensive lineman for the Giants, looking for him to get under contract. Shaq Barrett of the Bucs. Yannick Ngakwe of the Jags. That's one that the Seahawks have been watching, obviously, Ngakwe looking for a trade to get out of Jacksonville and Seattle, a possible destination for him, but uh, not a guy that looks real likely to be signing a long-term deal in Jacksonville, so we'll see with him as well on Wednesday. Tight end Hunter Henry of the Chargers, Bud Dupree of the Steelers, Joe Thune of the Patriots, Matthew Judon of the Ravens, another edge rushing candidate and then two safeties also under the franchise tag, Justin Simmons of the Broncos and Anthony Harris of the Vikings. So a lot of players to be watching to see if they get under contract on Wednesday. Another big news item up at FieldGoals.com, Greg Olson signed a contract to call games for Fox after his NFL career wraps up. So he's already making deals post-career with the Seahawks. We'll see if that comes after the 2020 season, or maybe he hangs on a little bit longer beyond that. Check out Alistair Corp's article on that up at fieldgoals.com. And as I get on out of here, be sure you are subscribed to the show so you can get all the latest episodes as soon as they launch. You can do it at sbnation.com slash NFL And until next time, go Hawks.